Welcome back to the Sensational Sports Trio. This is your host, Will Pesek, coming to you live from the second floor of the Martiri Building Studio Center. And what a difference a week makes. We sat here in this chair a week ago telling you guys the Yankees need to turn it around and sweep the Orioles when their season is over. And sure enough, what did they do? They swept the, they swept the Baltimore Orioles in crazy fashion. Home run galore. They're called the Bronx Bombers for a reason. That's why they were built off of home runs. The New York Nets continue. Pete Alonso on a hot stretch. The Boston Red Sox, not so much. Starting the season 3-9 and nine to start the season. But first, let me dissect into that before we introduce Corey and Liam. Listen, all these Red Sox fans who I'm friends with always tell me, now that the Red Sox start 3-9, and nine, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's too early. It's too early. It's too early. My question to them is, when is it not too early? Listen, I know. April 9th is extremely early for baseball. The season shouldn't even be starting yet. But when you start 3-9, and nine, you are... Pretty much guaranteeing yourself a difficult job to get getting back to 500 all in one winning streak and coming back and winning the division all at once. Just because you start three and nine on April 9th doesn't mean your season is over, but is extremely, extremely, extremely difficult to win a division starting three and nine. We saw it with the Yankees last year. They started nine and nine. Nine and nine was the record. Nine wins, nine losses. They lost the division by eight games. Eight. The Red Sox are three and nine. Three and nine. That is very, very rare. For them to come back and win the division. Are we going to say they're going to make the playoffs? Of course they're going to make the playoffs. I hope not, but that's just logic. I'd be stupid if I told you they're not going to make the playoffs because they are. They're not going to have a team. But when you have on your team, Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez, Alexander Bogarts, Chris Sale, David Price, you only have three wins? Three wins. You have the Seattle Mariners, who are supposed to be rebuilding, who have nine wins and you have three. You have the New York Mets, who have six. The Yankees, who have 11 guys on the have 11 guys in the DL, and they still have more wins than the Boston Red Sox, who are a full, healthy team. Now, I'm not a Red Sox fan. It may sound like it. I'm trying to prove a point. My point is, for the Red Sox fans that are saying it's too early... When are you going to be concerned? Because I would be concerned if I were you. Three and nine after a World Series title? I'm sorry, that's a concerning start. That is a concerning start. I don't know when it's going to turn around. Coming to you live in the studio, Corey Picard. Corey, <laughs> welcome back. How are you? I'm good. I mean, I hear you, Will. I, I, I can't say I disagree. It's getting to that point where we need to start winning. The Red Sox need to start winning, and it's a little concerning at, at Right now, there's still plenty of time. There's still 150 games right. to play. But like to start three and nine, it's concerning. Yeah, and, with, and with how well the Rings are playing, you cannot afford to lose that yeah. many games to how many they win. Absolutely, and they're setting themselves up for a difficult path. They're already five and a half games behind the Rays, three games behind the Yankees, and if they don't start turning it around soon, as in by the time we have this next podcast after this one. I'd hope they'd start turning it around by then. If they don't by then, then it's they're going to be five games back on the Yankees yeah. who are going to be start to and hit their pl- stride. And they play their Yan- the Yankees and the Red Sox play each other Tuesday and Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So that is a must win not only for the Red Sox, but the Yankees are hitting their stride. Keep in mind, 11 guys on the DL, and they're doing it with replacements. Clint Frazier. Come up here for an injured Giancarlo Stanton, mm-hmm. an injured Miguel Andahar, an injured Aaron Hicks, and he has three homers in four games. I mean, this is the production we're talking about. They're finally hitting their stride, and as a Red Sox fan, that should be a bit concerning because if anything else they have with the TL, they're finding ways to win key games, and that is important to how you win a division, how you win a pennant. And the thing about the Red Sox is there's no one area that they need to fix. It's You can't blame everything on the bullpen or anything like that. The bullpen outside of Brian Johnson, has really been one of the stronger parts of the team. When you score five runs in a game, you should win that game. Yeah, and their starting pitchers are... Chris Sale, abysmal start today. Really bad. The The Toronto Blue Jays? Come on, Chris Sale. (laughs) It's like, I don't know what to tell you. And their hitting isn't there backing their pitchers up either. So it is concerning. I think they'll they'll turn it around at some point, but if they don't turn it around soon, they're going to have a really hard path to try to win the division and... 
You don't want to be a wild no. card in the MLB. You no. don't want one game to decide the season. The Yankees were shot after that wild card game. Mm-hmm. All the emotion took it out of them. And imagine going to the wild card yeah. game and losing yeah. after 162 yeah. games. You don't want oh, to be in that position. The Red Sox need to start, like this week, need to turn yeah. it around because the Yankees are starting to hit their stride. Yeah. If they don't this week, the Yankees are going to start to pull away. The Rays are already hitting their stride. <laughs> they can't let them pull away. They can't lose the division, and they can't let one of those two teams run away with the division. And, I mean, I'm really hoping they start to figure it out. So their bats need to pick it up. Their pitchers, obviously, their starters, starting pitchers starting pitching has been really need to pick it up. So I'm hoping they start to turn it around. Alex Cora figures something out. I have faith, but they need to start playing soon. I I still think, like you said, they could easily make the playoffs if they just start to play baseball. They don't. That's not an emergency right now. But the bigger deal is winning the division because it's much easier in the playoffs when you win the division. Joining me now over the phone is Liam Gottimer. Liam, listen. You know I like to rant a lot, but I never usually rant about a rival team. Now, I'm not wishing them to do well. I'm just saying, when is it too, too, everybody's saying it's too early. It's too early. It doesn't matter if it's too early. Three and nine starts, not going to cut it. Well, yeah, that's for sure. And uh, it's certainly good to join you guys. And two and nine start is ideally, obviously, not what you want if you're a Boston Red Sox fan or, or if you play for the Boston Red Sox. And, you know, all I can say about that is this. The New York Mets had an 11-1 start last year, and they ended up with the uh, second-to-worst uh, second record, I believe, in the NL East, or third-to-worst record in the NL East. It was close. And, you know, I, it, it, as, 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 you know, you can start good, but at the same token, you can start bad and end, and end well, just like you could start good and end bad. So I'm not going to take it out of the question for the Red Sox to absolutely go on a tear and come back. You know, it's just, you know, it's, you could say it's a postseason hangover. You could say winning the, the World Series, you know, coming back the next season, not having the ideal time, you know, ideal amount of time to rest in the offseason and get prepared for the season. It's taking a toll on them. And, you know, they, you can give them the benefit of the doubt there. But with that all said, I do agree with you, Will. You do have to turn it around at some point because, as you know, as it keeps going along and along here in the season, the deficit is only going to get larger in the AL East. So they better pick it up quick. But I'm not concerned by the start because it happens to a lot of teams. We see it happen in all sports, whether it's basketball, hockey, baseball, or football. When you win the championship, it's difficult to come back early the next season and play very well. So Now, I mentioned earlier, the Seattle Mariners are going to cool down. I don't think they're anything special this year. I believe they're like 10-2. The Tampa Bay Rays, everybody wants to say, is a wild card to win the American League East. I don't see that happening. I don't see them having a deep pitching staff. They don't have a deep bullpen, and they certainly don't have an A lineup. Yeah, they're probably going to be a wild card team, but I do not see this hot start lasting for the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, for sure. And you know, when yeah, I mean, right now for the Tampa Bay Rays, it's wide open. You know, they can go and grab it right now, and I don't know what their record is off the top of my head. But Nine and two. Uh, nine and two. Okay, so they they do have, they did have a pretty good start to the year, but you know you got to ask yourself how long do you think they're going to be able to keep that going? And I know, mean, look who they're playing though. I mean, they're they're playing teams like the Chicago White Sox. They're playing teams like the White Sox. You know, they they're going to beat those teams and majority of good, mediocre teams will. So when they start to play up to their competition, then we'll start to see if, if this team is for real or not. Yeah, they've played the Rockies. Exactly. For right now, they've taken the bull by the horn, and they're nine and two, yeah. and they're you know, and they're tops in the AL East, and, and it's and it's really good. It's really good for the Rays right now, and they just gotta keep it consistent. You know, I agree with you. I don't think that they're gonna be contending for the division. Maybe you know they'll sneak back up in there. I think they'll be a wild card team, but I think when you're looking at the AL East, it's Boston's and the Yankees to lose. So let's see. Uh, we'll see how it pans out in the rest of the season. But I like the way Tampa has started off. Let me ask you a question, now, Liam. With all that's going on in Yankee Land, with the injuries, eleven guys on the injured on the injured list. You look at a guy like Clint Frazier, who came into camp hoping to steal Brett Gardner's job, had a terrible spring training because he just came back from a concussion. They have so much a high ceiling in this guy, and for what he has done so far. And I know it's a small sample size, 
but to hit what was nearly a two-run home run off of Justin Verlander, to hit two home runs in a series, to hit a game-winning home run against Baltimore, that is a huge confidence boost. And when Giancarlo Stanton comes back, which is very, very soon, when Aaron Hicks comes back, which is very, very soon, this is a good problem to have, just like last year when Miguel Andahar came up to play for the injured Brandon Drury. Now, when obviously when he comes back, you're going to have to send Stanton to the DH position, put Hicks back in center field, and put Frazier in left field and make Gardner the fourth outfielder. So maybe having an injury to Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Hicks was a blessing in disguise. You don't want to see players get hurt, but this op- opened the door for Clint Frazier, and he has took the ball and he ran with it, and he's not looking back. Absolutely. You talk about you know grabbing an opportunity and really seizing it. That's really what Clint Frazier has done, and he hasn't really gone away from the norm from what the rest of his Yankee teammates are really doing to go out and produce runs. He's hitting home runs. He's, you know, getting, you know, a lot of his exposure and a lot, you know, his talent is, is shining through through his ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And I think that that's what Yankee fans like to see because, you know, we talked about it earlier in the week, Will, the home runner died. That's just the way that their lineup is. And right now you put up, I believe they put up 15 runs against the Orioles all uh, on the home run. Yeah. Now. You know, that certainly shows a lot of confidence. And, Look, Clint Frazier, he's a good young player. He has a very, very high ceiling. And you have to take it like that, you know? You have to make sure that you get his reps in. You have to make sure he's in the lineup. And I agree with you. It's going to create a little bit of a question mark when everybody is back and healthy again in the Yankees outfield. Because when that happens, you do not want to leave Clint Frazier out of the lineup by any means. It cannot happen. And I I think that... You know, for as good a player he is, if you do have to send him down to AAA in the middle of the season when you really have your workhorses in the outfield, you know, and you really start to have a consistent, you know, you know, starting outfield, that's when I think that you can send him down and get him more reps. But right now, his talent is shining through. And if opportunities continue to stay uh, in the Yankees, they on the major league level, and he continues to produce, well, you know, sky's the limit. So I, I just... Agree with I just don't see how they keep playing Brett Gardner when everybody's healthy. But look, I love Brett Gardner. Every Yankee fan loves Brett Gardner. He's the heart and soul of that team. He's the longest tendered Yankee. There's a reason why they brought him back on a one-year contract to be that guy for the role, to a bench. And of course, when everybody's hurt, he has to play. So when everybody gets back healthy again, you have to figure Gardner's the odd man out. Yeah, but he's certainly not the future. No. (laughs) And he's, he's not... Uh, one of their stars either so it, it it's awkward because he's a veteran and you know all the fans love him but the right move is to put Clint Frazier now yeah way. is to to not ha- to send him down to the AAA or just not in the starting lineup because he won't be producing the big numbers and he's not he's not going to be the future of your team you don't want to get a I, it's not there's not a lot of drama queens in MLB yeah. but just happens to be that Clint Frazier really wants to play and isn't happy on the bench, then you don't want to have your future be angry with the organization. And uh, one note on the Rays is, yeah, they've played easy teams, but they've won the games they should have. That's something the Red Sox haven't done. And that's a 90-win team from last year that was really overlooked because of the Red Sox and Yankees. I think they're... They're in contention for the division, but I don't think they'll win. Their lineup isn't that deep, and that's the problem. And their bullpen isn't that great. Their starting rotation, yes, they add Charlie Morton to the mix, Tyler Glass now, and Austin Meadows, the outfielder that they got in exchange for Chris Archer last year at the deadline. But I just don't see how this team wins the American League East with the Red Sox and the Yankees. They certainly aren't. On the level of the Red Sox and Yankees as talent-wise. A ton of separation that they have now. I mean, the Yankees only three and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays, but they're going to play each other 19 mm-hmm. times this season. Yeah. Because they're all in the same division. Over that 19-game span, they can fall back to last place to Tampa Bay Rays. So anything is possible. So we'll see what happens on that front. Absolutely. Right? So what I wanted to ask you guys is one last topic on the Yankees is that we discussed last time uh, last season how bad Gary Sanchez ha- was uh-huh. last year. <laughs> Gary Sanchez is a new Gary Sanchez. He's the old Gary Sanchez. He's blocking <laughs> balls in the dirt that he couldn't do last year. He's better defensively, which he was not good at last year. He has more plate discipline, which he was not good at last year. And he leads the American League in home runs mm-hmm. with six 
home runs, three of them in one game. And we spoke about it last year in the playoffs. The series against the Red Sox, when he stepped up to the plate against Craig Kimbrell and flew out to the warning track in game four, this Gary Sanchez puts that in the upper deck. It's something about him this year. And Liam, you said it the best in the offseason. It's do or die for the Yankees and Gary Sanchez. Because as you said, Austin Romine is right there to take his job. Right, absolutely. Austin Romine is right there. And Gary Sanchez has to step up this season. And he needed to show the Yankee personnel. And more importantly, he needed to show himself that he was going to be able to be a starting catcher on the major league level and stay consistent. No question the guy has the talent. It's just whether he was willing to put in the work to, you know, to, uh, to attain it. And I think that, you know, you're really starting to see. I mean, Gary Sanchez is one of those guys. Uh, you know, I hate to put him under this category, but he's a home runner bus kind of guy. He's putting up home runs. Come back to me in the middle of the season. Yeah. <laughs> if, he has 21, if he has 21 home runs and is batting 188, I'm not going to be impressed. I, you know, he needs to become yeah. more of a complete overall hitter for me. You know, I think the Yankees don't need another home run hitter. They don't need a guy who's going to go out there and hit three home runs in the game. Certainly, that's great, and certainly getting runs on the board from your catcher is something that every team needs. But more than that, I think what the Yankees are looking at as Gary Sanchez is to be a contact hitter, along with that power, because that's going to be his mainstay his entire career: power, his ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark. But his defense, his hustle, his contact, his ability to drive in runs, you know, it all matters and it all comes towards being a more complete player. And if Gary Sanchez wants to live up to his hype, that's exactly what he has to do. And early on in the season, I like what I see. The home run ball is going to come along with his repertoire wherever he goes and however he's playing. But come back to me in the middle of the season. If he's batting 270, if he's batting 280, and he has, you know, 70, 60 RBIs by that point to go along with 20, 25 homers, I will completely go back on what I say and say that Gary Sanchez turned it around and really came through on his opportunity. But for right now, I like to see what I see, but I want to see a more complete hitter and a more complete player more than that. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point about coming back later in the season, but he does seem to be returning to his 2017 form. Yeah, I mean... He already has a third of the home runs he had last year. <laughs> so that's what do you have last year? 18? 18, yep. 18 home runs. He has six now. Yep. If he can get <laughs> nine 10, games. If he can get 10, by the, which is very possible with the way he's sitting right now. By the now, end of the month? But if, he can get, uh, if he can get 10 by the 20th of the month, which is 11 days from now, which is very <laughs> possible because of the streak he's on right now, yeah. he's going to finish with 30 home runs. <laughs> and in 2017, he had 33. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy that is capable of having a monster, monster season. Now, I like what I see. But again, is he going to hit 100? Is he going to hit 189 like he did last year? Yep. They can't afford to have that. Yeah. Ab- yes, 18 home runs. He probably led the major league catchers in home runs. But <laughs> 189, that's that's it, not good. It, it's not good at all. So, yeah, and it's good that he's stepping up in the absence of John Carlos Stanton. And and the they lose a power hitter. He steps up. He's Cliff a he, steps up. Yep. Yeah. He's up. He's now the power hitter, second to Judge. But in the middle of the season, when everybody's healthy and they don't necessarily need another power hitter, is he going to be a guy to hit for average? I don't think he will. This year, I don't know if he ever will be a guy that hits for average. I don't think so. I don't but think so. as long as he's I mean, Stanton's not a guy that necessarily hits for average. They but have he, two guys on that team. I mean, they have Glaber Torres. They have DJ LeMahieu, and that's where they got DJ LeMahieu. Yeah. And Aaron Judge is becoming an average hitter. You see, he has two types of stances: yeah. the whole run leg kick, where he lifts his leg completely off the ground, <laughs> and his line drive leg kick. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Yankees have. You see it all the time. Runner in scoring position: Judge, nice easy leg kick, bloop single, line drive single, double, no. nobody on base. That's the whole run ball for Judge. Yeah, that's I what the Yankees need. I wouldn't consider Judge solely a power hitter. I cons- that's more of Stanton. Yeah. Even though Stanton's had good good batting average years, he's he's more of a power hitter, like sixty home run type of guy on a good year. Um, but you see guys like Judge is more in the category with JD Martinez, where you can hit home runs. And JD Martinez really started off as a home run hitter, and now he's developed into more of a dual threat with home runs and batting average last year especially um but as for Gary Sanchez I don't know if he'll ever become a uh average hitter so quite honestly 
if he keeps hitting home runs at this rate or even close to it, might, that'll be good enough. Yeah. But if he doesn't, then we have the same problem yeah. that we had last year. I know Liam wanted uh, Liam shot me a text a couple days ago after hearing my Mike talk that rant. I don't know if <laughs> if Corey heard that rant. Yeah. Uh, but Liam said he wanted to do a rant. Oh, by the way, since I rant, the Yankees have won three out of four. So. <laughs> Corey, I, I suggest you get on that with the Red Sox if they want to turn that around. But, Liam, you wanted to talk about uh, uh, Mickey Calloway especially. What about Mickey Calloway that you don't like? Because, to be honest, there's a lot of things I don't like, and that's one of them is keeping J.D. Davis in that lineup. I know he hit two home runs against the Nationals, but the way he manages his bullpen, that's, that's sad. And it's sad to think about this was a pitching coach in Cleveland. What's going to change here? Holloway is horrible. <laughs> you know, I mean, I want to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. He comes in last year. They have an 11-1 start. You know, everybody thinks the world is wonderful. Everything is great. You know, the Mets are going to be, you know, the next big team. Their young talent, their young pitching is going to shine through. Their new manager, their new saving grace, Mickey Calloway, is going to come in, lead this team to the playoff spot. And what happens? It all shit hits the fan. It goes terrible. The, the Mets season it goes absolutely abysmal. And it's hard to blame Mickey Callaway last year. I admit it. It's not easy to go and look at the first-year coach, the first-year manager, and say, oh, you know, well, this team had a lot of injuries, and, and, and you know, it, it was a tough year, so that's why they didn't make the playoffs. But you know what? Looking back, there has to be some accountability back to Mickey Callaway. You know, I mean, sure, the Mets had their injuries, the Mets had their excuses last year. But to have such a plummet, the way they did from the time they went 11 and one, which I believe you know was at the, at the end of April and the beginning of May, to you know the end of June, early July, to where they had the worst record in baseball between that stretch, and it was not even close. I didn't even think of it because you know the Mets had a lot of other storylines going out for the year. You know, Yohannes uh, Cespedes had uh, both his uh, both his surgery on both his heels. You know, there were a lot of injuries. Okay, I understand that. You come back this year, Brody Van Wagenen absolutely changes this team and makes it into a playoff contender. I'm sure you both of you will agree with yes. me. You know, they're not mm-hmm. now like favorite to win the division, but they're in the conversation for the division, and it's not that. Certainly the wild card for the end of the year. And, you know, I refuse to have this Mets team go out there and have them have another losing season because of this bonehead of a manager. <laughs> this team is talented. It's very, very talented. They have Robinson Cano, who's an all-star second baseman. Sure, he might not be as fast as he was at second base, and that might not be as slick, but he still has that power back. He's still going to slide into that three-hole, and he's still going to hit 280-300. Going to give you 30 home runs. Going to give you 80 to 100 RBIs a year. That's what he's going to do. Pete Alonso's come in here, and he's been the saving grace. He hit, you know, I believe it was a 450-foot home run, the first home run of his career in Miami. And then comes back and hits another one a couple of days later when the Mets play Washington. The Mets have a really talented team. And for Mickey Calloway to go out there and handle the bullpen, leave Jeff McNeil out of the lineup for J.D. Davis. Will, you mentioned it before I, I started the rant. Jeff McNeil was the, one of the best Mets hitters last year. Yeah. He, hit, he hit over 300 in the second half. You, there's not a lot of hitters you can go out there and say. He was a career minor leaguer. Played very, very well in the minor leagues. Was one of the best hitters. Was finally called up and seized the opportunity in the majors. A la Daniel Murphy back in 2008. Same kind of thing. Spent the time in the minor league. You know, always was a great hitter. Came up here and he ended up being, you know, arguably in the last 10 years, probably the best Mets pure hitter they've had. And, you know, I, I refuse. I refuse to let what Mickey Callaway has done, you know, just, just ruin the Mets. Uh, you know, I mean... I go back to a game against Miami last week. Jacob DeGrom hits a home run. Let me just say that first. Strikes out 14 batters in seven innings against the Miami Marlins. And the Mets have, I think it's a ridiculous, like, I don't know, like 8-2 lead in the ninth inning. Mickey Calloway leads Luis Avilon, a left-handed pitcher, a left-handed specialist, in two innings and only decides to pull him when the tying run came to the plate when the bases were loaded against Curtis Granderson. That's ridiculous. That, that is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, I, you go back to Terry Collins, the manager he was for the Mets. 
sure, he made a lot of, you know, dumb decisions. There are a lot of questionable mistakes that Terry Collins made. But you know what Terry Collins did? Terry Collins always fought for his team and did what was best for his team. Nicky Callaway doesn't do that. Nicky Callaway stays on the sidelines. He tries to play all Mr. Nice Guy. And he's making terrible decisions that is inhibiting his team to go out there and win and finish games. And I'm not going to stand for it. It, it. it is honestly ridiculous. And I really, really hope, and I can't believe I'm saying this as a Mets fan, that the season gets to a point where the Mets and Brody Van Wagenen has to look in the mirror and realize that the manager that he has in the dugout on a nightly basis will not lead him to where his goal is for the New York Mets. And I hope that the Mets reach a low point in this season where they can finally realize that. Because the Mets are too goddamn talented to go down because of what Mickey Callaway does. And that's the end of the round. Yeah, I mean, I... I agree with your point. When the Mets are up 8-2, Edwin Diaz has no business coming into that game. You're a bullpen against the Miami Marlins, who arguably are going to be statistically and, his, and historically one of the worst teams in baseball <laughs> behind the multiple Orioles. He has no business coming into that game. I mean, Gazelman, Lugo, Familia, they got to close that door. And for Calvin, it's with Luis Avilon, who has a history of losing. In his career as a Met, that's embarrassing. Yeah. It really is embarrassing. And Robert Gazelman has arguably, and I know you're very high on Robert Gazelman and Seth Lugo, but I have watched them at the beginning, you know, what, 11, 12 games to open the season thus far. They have been two of the worst Mets relievers to begin the year. And Mickey Cowley continues to go out there and send them out. Because they're just getting, you know, they're getting destroyed on the mound. They're getting hit line drives. They're, they're you know, I, I think, I don't know if you guys got a chance to catch that game uh, on Sunday against Washington. The bullpen, the Mets walked almost, uh, I believe, a franchise record. Yeah. 60 batters yeah. that game. They gave up 12 runs before the seventh inning. How crazy is that? Yeah. And, you know, the crazier thing about that is the Mets ended up putting up nine runs by the end of the game. And it's not for an Anthony Rendon three-run homer in the seventh inning. The Mets tie that game. And that's my exactly my point. The Mets have the talent. They have the offensive ability to stay in any game. But when your manager continues to put the wrong options out there out of the bullpen and it continues to cost games, somebody has to look in the mirror. There has to be a reality check. Because how many times is it going to happen? Really? I mean, uh, and I know it's early. I know it's early in the season. But there has to be more accountability. There has to be more accountability. I'm sorry. That's it. All right. So, yeah, I I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, The Mets do look, I mean, the 6-3 start is not bad. They could have won some games there. Uh, (laughs) Certainly better than the Red Sox, which... Is kind of <laughs> the standard for bad right now for a bad start. But I have a question for Liam. Uh, what do you think about Brandon Nimmo? Oh, he's having seventeen a really strikeouts in nine games. How long do you leave him out there if he continues this rate? Well, you know, I think that's a really good question. And Brandon Nimmo, just watching him at the plate, it just seems like he's just flat out just, you know, getting under every single pitch. He's you know, he just looks lost up there at the plate. And I don't really know what the issue is. I mean, uh, if you asked me, you know, a couple of games ago what I thought about this and missed, you know, his, his big slump, I would have said keep him in. But now, you know, after the continued struggle, he finally had a double on Sunday in Washington when the Mets were down, like 12 to 2, I believe. And, um, and yeah, I ended up starting that rally. But besides that, he has been absolutely awful. I believe he's been. He has outside of Chris Davis on the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, God. The worst hitter yeah. to, start the, uh, to start the year in Major League Baseball. So, yes, I'm concerned, but it's not like you have a lot of options. You know, a lot of other options. I mean, I know that Nicky Callaway absolutely loves J.D. Davis. So, if you, <laughs> put, if, you put, if you put J.D. Davis out there, you know, in, in, uh, in left field and have him perform, have Regard and center, you know, you can do that if you want to send a message to Nicky Callaway. But I think that Brandon Nimmo is a very good hitter. He's going through growing pain. You could say it's a sophomore slump, 
believe this is his third year in the league, but last year was really when he accelerated into, you know, a force to be reckoned with on this Mets mm-hmm. team. So, you know, maybe pitchers are starting to catch up to him. Maybe pitchers are starting to realize what his repertoire is and they're starting to figure him out. I think he'll turn it around, but if you have to take him out of the lineup, I'd say that Mickey Callaway definitely does that, shifts J.D. Davis into the outfield, and finally gives Jeff McNeil a chance in the infield if you want any chance. Yeah. My yeah. question is, is Jed Lowry on the I.L.? Okay, the problem is if and when he comes back, because you never know what the Mets and their injuries, if he continues to struggle, we said in the offseason, where is Jed Lowry going to play? And it seems like whenever we say something along those lines, like where is DJ LeMahieu going to play? Where is Jed Lowry going to play? It kind of plays itself out. If Nimmo continues to struggle... If J.D. Davis continues to struggle, there's an opening for Jed Lowry, whether in the outfield or in the infield at third base. Right. Let me tell you, well, I think that absolutely Jed Lowry should be in the starting lineup when he comes back. Even as, you know, this team is fully healthy. And you know what? We went back to it. We said it before the season started. Mickey Callaway came out before the year started and said that Todd Frazier is healthy. Is going to be our starting third base. Yeah, I don't like that at all. I, I don't like that. I don't like that. Exactly. I, I don't like that at all either. And that attributes exactly to my point. That Mickey Calloway is literally, <laughs> he is literally looking at his TV screen on how to run the mess. And he's pushing all the wrong buttons. Every single wrong button he can push, he's been pushing. That's horrible. And, and Todd Frazier is due to come back before Jed Lowry. And if Todd Frazier comes back before Jeff Lowry is, and Todd Frazier comes back and he's in the starting lineup every single day, and he's batting 210, and when Jeff Lowry comes back, you know, as Mike Mickey Callaway still does not put him in the lineup, I'm going to be beside myself. At the end of the day, Jeff Lowry is a DJ LeMahieu type of player. Is he as good a hitter as DJ LeMahieu is? Absolutely not. DJ LeMahieu has accolades that prove that he's one of the best hitters in the National League, but he's the same type of player. He's versatile. He can play in a variety of positions. He's a line drive hitter. He can drive in runs. He can keep the line moving. That's what a championship team needs in their lineup. Look back to the Kansas City Royals in 2015. What was their motto? Keep the line moving. Keep it moving. Whether it was a bunt, whether it was a big hit, you know, whether it was a pop up over the pitcher that fell on, on, on the mound, anything, anything to get runs on. Yeah, and look. Yeah, and we're going to let Corey get a shot at this, but listen, Todd Frazier was at the Yankees for half a season, and he hit 212 and ended up hitting 20-plus home runs, which is fine. That's what the Yankees do. They hit home runs. But as much as I like Todd Frazier, I like his attitude. He brings that energy and swag to the game, but he's not a starting professional baseball player anymore. He was bad at the time with Cincinnati. He, he was all of that. With Chicago, yes. However, when you have Jed Lowry on this team, he should be playing third base. And I saw a tweet on Twitter today, I don't know who it was from, say, and I don't know if, Lee, you heard about this too, that Mickey Calloway said when Todd Frazier comes back, they expect him to play shortstop. So what does that do with Ahmed Rosario then? No, you're, you're absolutely kidding me. No, no. I, I'm going to find that. <laughs> no, I, 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 I will find it, and I, I'm gonna do my best to find it. But until then, I want Corey to. See <laughs> you gotta help us out here, Corey. <laughs> uh, yeah, Corey, please, please get to your points, Corey, because I'm gonna blow a gasket on Mickey Calloway if I keep talking for one more second. We talked about this preseason. How I think we all agreed that Todd Frazier shouldn't be starting on the Mets, and we all agreed that Jed Lowry should be ahead of Todd Frazier and, and the next person up, really. When the, if they were both healthy, I think Jed Lowry's more reliable, better, more of an average hitter that you could bring into the lineup and help your team score runs. Uh, Don't want to interrupt you, but uh, Corey and Liam, the tweet I found and I will send it to you. It is from Andy Martino. I'm going to send it to you guys both right now. You guys take a look at it. And it says, 
I had not expected to hear today that Todd Frazier is a realistic possibility to play <laughs> shortstop this year, but he is. But carry on, Corey. That's, I mean, that's not guaranteeing that he'll start when he comes back in that position, but I think considering that, I think he, he would be a good pinch hitter. And even then, it's a risk because it's either it's home run or bust then. And that's not the most reliable situation. As for Brandon Nimmo, there's plenty of time. I think, I, I mean, it's early in the season. We've talked about this. Things could change within a week. But if it doesn't change soon, like the Red Sox, if they don't change soon, something's got to happen. They need to start doing something. But if, if he, he doesn't start hitting better, stop sh- striking out, or at least strike out less, then they may need to make a lineup change, let him clear his head, or something like that. I mean, as simple as that. Jeff McNeil's been great. I don't know why he's not in the lineup. He's he he's batting 409 in a small sample size of 22 at bats, nine hits. Not a huge sample size, but still, that's that's those are good numbers. And he's only struck out three times, unlike Brandon Nimmo, Ahmed Rosario. Pete Alonso and Michael Conforto all have double-digit strikeouts. They also have more at-bats, but, I mean, he would be a balance between those power hitters or the guys that strike out a lot. He's more of a contact hitter that would help this lineup. And, I mean, J.D. Davis hasn't been terrible, but you could move a few guys around in the case that Brandon Nimmo doesn't improve, and you could get Jeff McNeil in the lineup. I mean, there's a lot of moves. There's a lot of potential on this team. If you get a good lineup together, a solid lineup that works well together, I think this team could be very good, and they could win the division. I did say they aren't my favorites before the season. They still aren't my favorites, but I think it's definitely a possibility that they are able to come away with a division title. Now, Liam, you had some time to relax, and you were able to read the tweet, comprehend that tweet. What are you taking out of all that? Yeah, I mean... I can say uh, in regards to Ahmed Rosario that he hasn't had the most brilliant start to the year. And certainly as a top prospect or a former top prospect for that matter, with Ahmed Rosario, you would expect a little more. I think it's a little early. And I think that, you know, Ahmed Rosario should be used in a more prominent spot. And the only way that you're really going to make him a better ball player is by having more exposure and having him, you know, be able to get into different game situations and be prepared when those big situations end up coming later in the season, you know, when it's, when it's pivotal down the stretch. But I think that Todd Frazier playing third, he has smooth hands at third. And, you know, obviously shortstop is a little bit of a different animal. But if he feels like he has the ability to play it, then you send him out there and you see what he has. But if it inhibits the playing ability of Ahmed Rosario in any, in any extended fashion, I work back on this as a, as, on a, as a complete disaster for Mickey Calloway. Look, if you want to, you know, give Ahmed Rosario a few days to rest, you know, clear his mind, uh, I, you know, on hitting, fine, I understand that. But if you're going to sit Ahmed Rosario for a long period of time in lieu of Todd Frazier at <laughs> shortstop, something's got to be done. Yeah. One last topic from me on baseball. I want to discuss... The two worst announcers in Major League Baseball history. They happen to be the commentators of the New York Yankees. Oh boy. That is John Sterling and Susan Waldman. Now, if you're not familiar with John Sterling's work, everyone, whenever a Yankee hits a home run, he intends to have a home run call. And I'm sorry. The home run calls are brutal. Now, I clearly remember last summer, I'll drive it to the beach, and I have the Yankee game on. And I didn't know who was on first base, what the count was, who was on, who was at the plate, who was pitching, what inning were we in. I would go from listening to Vince Scully going, here in Los Angeles, we have the pitcher. He's up as elbows and alligators at a pitch count of 32 with a high sudden degree of 58 degrees Fahrenheit. Runner on first and second, two balls, two strikes, two outs, two on. Top of the fourth inning here to a guy like John Sterling. And, you know, I was at the beach today and, you know, I got some sunburn. And, you know, don't forget that sunscreen. And on occasions out here, 
Don't forget that sunscreen there, Susan. That pole is low. Anyway, sunburn <laughs> on the back of the neck is not good. You have the IV rays coming down at you at a very high degree. That ball is inside for a ball. That count is now 2-0. and oh. And <laughs> it'll just continue on. Like, is, is there a point to where he realizes nobody cares about his time getting sunburn or the time where... Uh, listen, I don't know. And his home run call is a special. Ready? So, the... Obviously, Yankee fans know Luke Voigt. For his home run call, he goes, that ball is high, it is far, it is gone. Luke Voigt fills the void. Voigt hits one to Detroit. Now, that's not bad. But the most cringiest home <laughs> run call of all, the, the most cringiest one I've heard is Glaber Torres. When he hits that one out of the ballpark, he goes, The ball is high! It is far! It is gone! Glaber Torres! Like a good Glaber, Torres is there! And he is the Glaber of the month! Happy Glaber Day! That is the most cringeworthy home run call I've ever heard. Liam, Corey, what do you got? I know it's off top, but let's bring some fun into this. He's just an awful, awful broadcaster. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, well, I love John Sterling. I love John Sterling. He uses a lot of figurative language. But what the, the part I don't like is I go from hearing Vince Scully to hearing him talking at the time he got sunburned to him adding in, that ball is low. Like, he's got... I, I know baseball's hard sport to comment yeah. because, because there's no space, but ha- he fills the space with, like, dumb stuff <laughs> that nobody cares about. Yeah, uh, I mean... And, you know, I- you My favorite of his has to be Clint Frazier's. There was a boxer, uh, his last name was Frazier, mm-hmm. and when he would get knocked down, the saying, I believe, was down goes Frazier. And for Clint Frazier's, he would talk like the count hitters back then would talk because he hit about three home runs against the, against the Baltimore O's, and his home run calls, and, and this is exactly how John Sterling said it. That ball is high! It is far! It is gone! Clint Frazier! And downtown goes Frazier! Like, that's kind of funny <laughs> and kind of right, but a lot of them are cringe really, but he has fun with it, so. I can only imagine how long he just sits in his his room <laughs> just thinking of these things. Like, imagine the Yankees trading a player, getting a player in a trade, yeah. and he's just like, oh, what can I say when he, this guy yeah. hits a home run? <laughs> I mean, it's funny because... A lot of sports fans have a love for whoever their announcers are. Jerry and, Remy for the I Red do, Sox. And I do. Yeah, like you John said he, Yeah, but <laughs> the way he fills the time. Like, yeah, uh, I mean, Vince Scully. He's up to his elbows and alligators. There's two on, two outs, two men on base. The count is two and two. That is interesting to listen to. Yeah, but you know, Susan, I was down at the Jones Beach Air Show this weekend, and I got a really bad sunburn on the back of my neck. Nobody wants to listen to that. <laughs> and it's tough, especially in the car or listening on the radio. Yeah. you don't know context, yeah. and I mean, I know I've listened to the Red Sox on the radio, and they. It's been like, what's the score? I I don't know what the score is. And I mean, they can assume like you've been listening the whole time, but a lot of people aren't. And I don't know. It's just, it's a lot of filler time because there's not that much action. Yeah, Yeah, but (laughs) I mean, it's just funny. (laughs) They, they, They all have a certain personality. That's his. Is it great? Is it weird? Yeah. I mean, every announcer is probably a little weird. Vin Scully is the 
pretty much the bar. He set the bar. He's probably the best announcer ever. I mean, not many people are going to be that like that. And I, I mean, mean, my best, my favorite memory of of him screwing up. Credit uh, back then Boomer and Carton for finding this <laughs> clip. Uh, I know Carton just got sentenced to three and a half years in jail, but back then when he <laughs> was with Boomer Asaisen on 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 eight eighty one hundred one point nine FM WFAN, they had a clip of John Sterling. Opening day in 2011, he would go, that ball is high, it is far, it is off the wall, no, it is caught, no, it's off the wall, no, it is caught. Like, how do you not know if an object has hit a wall? Like, if I throw this water bottle at the wall, I'm not going to say, Oh, it was caught. I'm going to say that hit the wall. <laughs> like, how do you not know what object is in a wall? That's what I'm talking about with John Sterling. But he's a great broadcaster. He has a lot of fun with it. He loves his job. We all hope to get there someday. That's about it. So let's go. Last night, the, uh, Virginia oh, escapes yeah. Texas Tech to win the national championship title. Last year, they got out as the one seed against the, against the 16th seed, UMBC mm-hmm. uh, Retrievers. And a year later, they come back and win the whole thing. A Cinderella finish, if you would ask me. The Auburn game on Saturday it's with tough. the questionable foul. Tough. Questionable. I don't think they should have called that right away. He had three free throws made, all three of them. It's That's a tough call. I don't know game. if Liam and Corey saw that, but we'll start with Liam on that. The Virginia. Auburn Virginia game was it a foul or no foul at a crucial crucial time to call that? Yeah, it was certainly a crucial time to, to call that and lead to three free throws to ultimately you know finish the game. And you know, I mean, as far as UVA winning the national title, it was certainly mired in controversy. I mean, you go into that Purdue game, which uh, in the Sweet Sixteen, I believe, uh, which was arguably probably the best college basketball game I've ever seen. And, um, you know, and then they go on to Auburn, of course. That would have been Elite Eight. Uh, and then they go on to Auburn and shut down their magical season and then, you know, end up winning the national championship but defeating Texas Tech. What a story it is. And all these doubters that before the tournament started that UVA couldn't get it done and that they were going to be yet another tournament bust. They go out there and they win the national championship. I think it's a great story. I think that, you know, I mean, I was pulling for Texas Tech to win for, you know, former Steve Jobs, forward Tariq Owen. But uh, certainly it was a great March Madness, and I think that the right team walked out with the title. I thought that, you know, UVA, they, 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 really, they really proved the doubters wrong, and I think that that was, uh, that was the message of this entire March Madness. So I thought it ended well. Uh, all right, so, yeah, I was one of the doubters. <laughs> I, I mean, the first team Virginia played this yeah. year. Was it? <laughs> I, I, I don't know who they. They played. were down at half. They were down at halftime by like a lot. Yeah, and by you like ten. To get the feeling like is in this, the first half by is ten. This deja vu. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was the first. It was halftime, but the first half they were down ten or twelve at one point, towards the end of the first half. Yeah, I was one of the doubters. I did have them going to the elite eight, but I at the elite eight I had them playing Tennessee. A little rundown of my, <laughs> a little bit part of my bracket. I but had anyways. Tennessee the whole thing a little my bracket. <laughs> Yeah, that didn't end up well, but I mean they put up a fight. But anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, and and the Elite Eight, I was like, no way I can have this team going to the Final Four after last year. Lo and behold, they go and win the whole thing. I mean, there's a little bit of bias. I was pulling for Auburn. I'm gonna be honest. I was. I really wanted Auburn to win. I loved watching them play. Their style of play, up and down the court. Uh, I I like their football team. That kind of extended to the basketball team. Um, I liked them last year with Mustafa Heron from oh, Connecticut. He's on St. He's, John's yeah, he's right? now on St. John's. I just like their I like their style. I I wasn't rooting for them going into the tournament. Watching them, especially after they beat UNC, who was really my my pick and my team in the tournament, I was rooting for them. I mean, it, it's so fun to watch their game. And yeah, I was mad. <laughs> I I hated. It was multiple times. It was Auburn's first game against New Mexico State. A foul called on a three point shot. Was it a foul? I think it was. Yeah. It's so just I mean, to, call, to that, call that in that moment. At that moment, you have to yeah. kind of because yeah. it's it's like you don't want to cost the game. 
and be the ref that didn't call it, but I mean, it's so tough. I don't so think the majority of the people in that building, other refs and the coaches, saw that foul I happen. didn't. I didn't lie. It was no. until they showed the replay where you're like, he literally I thought they won by a hairline. I thought they won. I, I thought they won, and then I saw that they called a foul. Yeah. It was... A lot of the people I was watching with were rooting for Auburn, too. <laughs> so, it's like, ah, it was it was tough. But you kind of have to call that. But it was probably the worst finish to a Final Four game I've seen. Just ending on three free throws like that. I mean, yeah, the, Auburn had a shot with .6 seconds left. But I hated the ending of that game. I wish you would have missed one of the f- free throws and gone to overtime. And then in the championship, I was rooting for Virginia. I I I thought it'd be a really cool story. I mean, how could you not after what yeah, they had, you know? Last it'd be year. a really cool story. Yeah. Losing to a 16 seed, yeah. and then you go and win the whole thing. What a recovery! Yeah. But I, I didn't really care. I mean, Texas Tech would have been cool. Such an underdog, really, yeah. a team that's never really been a basketball school. So I didn't have a crazy rooting interest. I I really wanted Auburn to win. But well, yeah, Stafford Heron played on what team? Auburn. And he's from Connecticut? He's from Connecticut. Went to Sacred Heart Academy in Connecticut. Speaking of St. John's, uh, Chris Mullen has decided to step down as head coach of St. John's, and a top replacement is Bobby Hurley from Arizona State. The team they played. That's funny. So not a bad swap there if you are St. John's. Shamari Pons also has registered for the NBA draft. I don't think he's a top 15 pick. Uh, maybe a second round pick for Shamari Pons if he stayed an extra year in college. I'd say he's a first round pick, but mm-hmm. I don't really know anymore. But again, two huge losses for St. John's. But we'll see. Quickly before we end the show, more drama between the Steelers, Antonio Brown, and Juju oh Smith Schuster. Oh, I forgot about the this. The DMs that were sent back and forth between the two of them Ridiculous. just goes to show you how good of a person Juju is Absolutely. and why Antonio Brown would go back four years and, and post that, that and post that really that, makes It no didn't sense help his me. case at all. Yeah. Juju was being a respectful <laughs> college student that wanted to improve his game. What's yeah. wrong with that? Yeah. Is he trying to make him look bad for not being as good as he was yeah. when Antonio Brown was 28 and Juju Smith Schuster was in college? Yeah. I don't like, know if what Liam, is the point to that. It makes him look like more of an idiot and more of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Liam, I mean, did you hear about that uh, with the situation between Juju Smith-Schuster? Uh, it actually went up yesterday when Antonio Brown posted a a, a a screenshot of the DM that Juju sent him when he was a receiver for the I believe the University of Southern of Southern California, yep, right? Yep. Asking him if he had any advice on how to be a better receiver. And I don't think he ever answered him because it didn't show it. <laughs> I don't think he did. I don't think he ever answered him. Or maybe he deleted it because he was hiding it. Just goes like the person he is. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he posts it on Instagram and then posts a mic drop emoji. So I don't know if you heard. I don't know if you heard and about he that. He deleted it later, by the way. I did hear about that, and uh, you know, I mean, I don't really follow you know the whole football you know drama team too much, but Antonio Brown seems to always get himself. Uh, you know, miles up in uh, in rumors and controversy, so it doesn't really surprise me. He's just doing what he's doing. He's a jokester, uh, and you know that's just his personality. So if he wants to, if he wants to, you know, go about his business that way. That's all. That's all his prerogative. You know, I'm in no way the no way to judge that. It's just the way he is, and you know, you can't teach a new dog new tricks. I think that's the expression. I liked Antonio Brown before this now off season. And then did you and- see what? Le'Veon Bell posted from James Conner? Yeah, I like, I yeah. mean, I, I honestly, I disliked Le'Veon Bell more probably just because he <laughs> went to the Jets, <laughs> and I don't like the Jets, but now oh, Antonio well, Brown uniforms. is a villain. I like those new uniforms. I don't really the like him. I like yeah, the, 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 the black Jets ones are pretty nice. I did. Uh, like, you know, it's a little questionable to me how you're <laughs> not going to put Jets on the front. I mean, uh, but with that said, I think the black unis are really Yeah, I like, yeah, I like the black. But that's but, their uh, color uh, rush, you know, isn't the it? So no, rare. that's going to be their alternate. Okay, but that's still rare. Are, uh, are definitely a little questionable. But uh, with that said, I like, like the black win. I'm willing to give them a try, and I'm not shutting yeah. them down like a lot of Jets fans immediately did when they made their Oops. release. Oh, it, I mean, there's really two sides to it. People are calling them trash, I lo- and people I, are calling them fire. Like, <laughs> like I amazing. Like I like them. I, I I mean, there's probably bias, too, with teams that you like. A lot of people don't like the Jets, <laughs> but... I mean, I don't hate them. One of the Jets fans I know here actually <laughs> pointed out that, and I I can't unsee it now. It's really close to the old Eagles colors. 
Yeah, I can see it's that. not the Jets green anymore. Yeah. It's a different green. Yeah. I mean, it's fine if you're changing the color, yeah. but it's just it's weird because that's yeah. been their green, and it's a different kind of green. No other team really has that shade of green, and now it's it's just a common color green. Metal and the helmets are metallic and everything. I mean, yeah, give them a chance. I don't like them. I I think. I really think the Dolphins have one. <laughs> this is just me sliding the Dolphins in there. I think the Dolphins have one of the nicest color schemes and some of the nicest jerseys in the league. But, I mean, the Jets, New Jerseys, I like the black ones. I think black color, I think black jerseys in general. The Steelers have nice black jerseys like that. Ravens, I believe, have color rush black jerseys. I like those ones. I think it's, I, I can, I mean, the white are just white jerseys. They're not bad. The green, I really don't like that much. I think it's that one. I have to look them up, but I believe it's the green I don't, I'm not a big fan of. I think that green's a little weird, especially, I mean, it's just not Jets green. <laughs> it's really not, but yeah, as for that, I mean, as for Antonio Brown, back to that, it's just ridiculous. I tried to stay out of that. I mean, Big Ben doesn't have the greatest reputation, but and Antonio Brown wasn't helping that, but I tried to stay out of that for a while but when he goes at Juju for no reason really I don't understand the point of that Juju didn't say Juju didn't even initiate anything and he just went at him he he responded that's right he responded to the posts of a Steelers fan page account saying Juju was the MVP and he goes he fumbled the postseason away pretty much I'm summing it up but yeah why what is why is that necessary you're jealous that they didn't give you the MVP when you pretty much bashed their team? Yeah. You didn't play in Week 17 when they needed to win? Yeah, they won without you, but they needed to win that game. They needed other help, but you couldn't be there for your team then, and you're saying another guy's not the MVP? What is your agenda? Why are you worried about this team that you're not even on anymore? It's really annoying, and to post that DM, that's what really set me off. Like, That's ridiculous. You don't have to post private messages with this guy. Plus, he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, no, I agree. He was trying to better yeah. himself. And yeah. this is coming after Juju said, I only respected you. And Antonio Brown posts these DMs showing that he respected him. And Antonio Brown obviously didn't respect him, didn't respond. And he posted these DMs. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. It's just... No, I agree. I, agree. <laughs> I liked him before the season, too. I liked him. I thought he was a great wide receiver. Now it's kind of ridiculous, and I hope Juju has a much better season than him. But, yeah. Well. You know, there's, that's that. <laughs> that'll wrap things up here on the on the Sensational Sports Trio. Liam, it was a pleasure talking to you. We'll talk to you again later this week. Uh, tomorrow, big game for my Islanders. is game one versus the Pittsburgh Still Penguins. I have the Islanders in seven games. The series MVP, Brock Nelson. Quickly, Liam, 30-second recap. Smart decision by me on that part. Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be uh, Islanders, uh, Penguins in seven. I think the <laughs> Islanders are going to give them a real, real tough challenge. But when it comes down to the goal scoring, the playoff pedigree, and the ability to put the puck in the net and Matt Murray's timely saves, I think it's unmatched. And I think that the Islanders are going to end up falling to the Penguins. But don't count them out. It's going to be a tremendous series, and I'm so excited for Wednesday night. It was awesome talking to you guys. Have an awesome rest of your day. Uh, you too. You too. That was Liam Gottemar. Uh, Corey, really quickly, Islanders and Penguins, what's your serious prediction? Uh, I mean, experience is going to come into play, I think. I, I mean, I wouldn't count the Islanders out by any means. They are the higher seed after all. They do have the home ice <laughs> advantage. National Coliseum is going to be rocking them Absolutely. Out. I mean, I wouldn't count them out. I think I'd go with Penguins. Six or seven. The Islanders are going to give them a run for their money. The Islanders could win the series. I mean, it's it's really it's possible. Uh, it'll be it'll be fun to watch the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm not the biggest hockey guy, well, you'll watch it. but the playoffs are fun to watch. I mean, hockey games are long, and there's not a lot of goals. But the playoffs, something about playoff hockey is just different. I remember last year watching the Bruins, who I hadn't watched all that much in the regular season. Watched every playoff game. Yeah. Could I? I made plans around them to be <laughs> honest. And they have the Maple they, Leaves again. If they uh, that, that'll be a fun series. I hope they win because of the whole Tavares thing. And, <laughs> you know, Barry, and I'm just gonna say it because we're ending the show on a high note. John Tavares left the Islanders to go to the Maple Leafs because he wanted to be a playoff team. The Maple Leafs had a hundred points. 
The Islanders 103. That's funny. Just saying that. It's so, funny. That wrap things up here. Go Arbor, Bruins! On the <laughs> Sensational Sports Trio, Will Pesticor, Carl Leo, God, until next time. We'll be back next week. Can she sweep it